Section 9 of Institutes of the Christian Religion, Book 4. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Bill Mosley. Institutes of the Christian Religion, Book 4 by John Calvin. Translated by Henry Beveridge. Chapter 5. Part 9. I come to the seculars, some of whom are, as they speak, beneficiaries, that is, have offices by which they are maintained, while others let out their services day by day to chant or say masses, and live in a manner on a stipend thus collected. Beneficies either have a care of souls, as bishoprics and parochial charges, or they are the stipends of delicate men, who gain a livelihood by chanting, as prebends, canonries, parsonships, deaneries, chaplainships, and the like, although things being now turned upside down, the offices of abbot and prior are not only conferred on secular presbyters, but on boys also by privilege that is, by common and usual custom. In regard to the mercenaries who seek their food from day to day, what else could they do than they actually do? In other words, prostitute themselves in an illiberal and disgraceful manner for gain, especially from the vast multitude of them with which the world now teems. Hence, as they dare not beg openly, or think that in this way they would gain little, they go about like hungry dogs, and by a kind of barking importunity extort from the unwilling what they may deposit in their hungry stomachs. Were I here to attempt to describe how disgraceful it is to the church that the honor and office of a presbyter should come to this, I should never have done. My readers, therefore, must not expect from me a discourse which can fully represent this legitious indignity. I briefly say that if it is the office of a presbyter, and this both the word of God prescribes, 1 Corinthians 4.1, and the ancient canons enjoin, to feed the church and administer the spiritual kingdom of Christ, all those priests who have no work or stipend, save in the traffic of masses, not only fail in their office, but have no lawful office to discharge. No place is given them to teach, they have no people to govern. In short, nothing is left them but an altar on which to sacrifice Christ. This is to sacrifice not to God, but to demons as we shall afterwards show, see chapter 18, sections 3, 9, and 14. 10. I am not here touching on extraneous faults, but only on the intestine evil, which lies at the root of the very institution. I will add a sentence which will sound strange in their ears, but which as it is true, it is right to express that canons, deans, chaplains, provosts, and all who are maintained in idle offices of priesthood 
are to be viewed in the same light. For what service can they perform to the church? The preaching of the word, the care of discipline, and the administration of the sacraments, they have shaken off as burdens too grievous to be borne. What then remains on which they can plume themselves as being true presbyters? Merely chanting and pompous ceremonies. But what is this to the point? If they allege custom, use, or the long prescription, I, on the contrary, appeal to the definition by which our Savior has described true presbyters, and shown the qualities of those who are to be regarded as presbyters. But if they cannot endure the hard law of submitting to the rule of Christ, let them at least allow the cause to be decided by the authority of the primitive church. Their condition will not be one whit improved when decided according to the ancient canons. Those who have degenerated into canons ought to be presbyters, as they formerly were, to rule the church in common with the bishop, and be, as it were, his colleagues in the pastoral office. What they call deaneries of the chapter have no concern with the true government of the church, much less chaplainships and other similar worthless names. In what light, then, are they all to be regarded? Assuredly, both the word of Christ and the practice of the primitive church exclude them from the honor of presbyters. They maintain, however, that they are presbyters, but we must unmask them, and we shall find that their whole profession is most alien from the office of presbyters, as that office is described to us by the apostles and was discharged in the primitive church. All such offices, therefore, by whatever titles they are distinguished, as they are novelties, and certainly not supported either by the institution of God or the ancient practice of the church, ought to have no place in a description of that spiritual government which the church received and was consecrated by the mouth of the Lord himself. Or, if they would have me express it in ruder and coarser terms, since chaplains, canons, deans, provosts, and such like lazy bellies do not even with one finger touch a particle of the office which is necessarily required in presbyters, they must not be permitted falsely to usurp the honor and thereby violate the holy institution of Christ. 11. There still remain bishops and rectors of parishes, and I wish that they would contend for the maintenance of their office. I would willingly grant that they have a pious and excellent office if they would discharge it, but when they desert the churches committed to them, and throwing the care upon others, would still be considered pastors, they just act as if the office of pastor were to do nothing. If any usurper, who never stirs from the city, were to give himself out as a plowman or vine-dresser or a soldier who has constantly been in the field or the camp and has never seen books or the forum to pass for a lawyer, who would tolerate the absurdity? 
much more absurdly do those act who would be called and deemed lawful pastors of the church and are unwilling so to be how few are those who in appearance even take the superintendence of their church many spend their lives in devouring the revenues of churches which they never visit even for the purpose of inspection some once a year go themselves or send a steward that nothing may be lost in the letting of them when the corruption first crept in those who wished to enjoy this kind of vacation pleaded privilege but it is now a rare case for any one to reside in his church they look upon them merely in the light of farms over which they appoint their vicars as greaves or husbandmen but it is repugnant to common sense to regard him as a shepherd who has never seen a sheep of his flock twelve it appears that in the time of gregory some of the seeds of this corruption existed the rulers of churches having begun to be more negligent in teaching for he thus bitterly complains the world is full of priests and yet laborers in the harvest are rare for we indeed undertake the office of the priesthood but we perform not the work of the office again as they have no bowels of love they would be thought lords but do not at all acknowledge themselves to be fathers they change a post of humility into the elevation of ascendancy again but we o pastors what are we doing we who obtain the higher but are not laborers we have fallen off to extraneous business we undertake one thing we perform another we leave the ministry of the word and to our punishment, as I see, are called bishops, holding the honor of the name, not the power. Since he uses such bitterness of expression against those who were only less diligent or sedulous in their office, what, pray, would he have said if he had seen that very few bishops, if any at all, and scarcely one in a hundred of the other clergy, mounted the pulpit once in their whole lifetime for to such a degree of infatuation have men come that it is thought beneath the episcopal dignity to preach a sermon to the people in the time of bernard things had become still worse accordingly we see how bitterly he inveighs against the whole order and yet there is reason to believe that matters were then in a much better state than now. 13. Whoever will duly examine and weigh the whole form of ecclesiastical government as now existing in the papacy will find that there is no kind of spoliation in which robbers act more licentiously, without law or measure. Certainly all things are so unlike nay so opposed to the institution of christ have so degenerated from the ancient customs and practices of the church are so repugnant to nature and reason that a greater injury cannot be done to christ than to use his name in defending this disorderly rule we say they 
are the pillars of the church, the priests of religion, the vice-regents of Christ, the heads of the faithful, because the apostolic authority has come to us by succession. As if they were speaking to stocks, they perpetually plume themselves on these absurdities. Whenever they make such boasts, I, in my turn, will ask, what have they in common with the apostles? We are not now treating of some hereditary honor which can come to men while they are asleep, but of the office of preaching, which they so greatly shun. In like manner, when we maintain that their kingdom is the tyranny of Antichrist, they immediately object that their venerable hierarchy has often been extolled by great and holy men, as if the holy fathers, when they commended the ecclesiastical hierarchy or spiritual government handed down to them by the apostles, ever dreamed of that shapeless and dreary chaos where bishoprics are held for the most part by ignorant asses, who do not even know the first and ordinary rudiments of the faith, or occasionally by boys who have just left their nurse. Or if any are more learned, this, however, is a rare case, they regard the Episcopal office as nothing else than a title of magnificence and splendor. Where the rectors of churches no more think of feeding the flock than a cobbler does of plowing. Where all things are so confounded by a confusion worse than that of Babel that no genuine trace of paternal government is any longer to be seen. 14. But if we descend to conduct, where is that light of the world which Christ requires? Where the salt of the earth? Where that sanctity which might operate as a perpetual censorship? In the present day, there is no order of men more notorious for luxury, effeminacy, delicacy, and all kinds of licentiousness. In no order are more apt or skillful teachers of imposture, fraud, treachery, and perfidy. Nowhere is there more skill or audacity in mischief, to say nothing of ostentation, pride, rapacity, and cruelty. In bearing these, the world is so disgusted that there is no fear lest I seem to exaggerate. One thing I say, which even they themselves will not be able to deny, among bishops there is scarcely an individual, and among the parochial clergy not one in a hundred, who, if sentence were passed on his conduct according to the ancient canons, would not deserve to be excommunicated, or at least deposed from his office. I seem to say what is almost incredible. So completely has that ancient discipline which enjoined strict censure of the morals of the clergy become obsolete. But such the fact really is. Let those who serve under the banner and auspices of the Romish See now go and boast of their sacerdotal order. It is certain that that which they have is neither from Christ, nor his apostles, nor the fathers, nor the early church. 15. 
let the deacons now come forward and show their most sacred distribution of ecclesiastical goods see chapter nineteen section thirty two although their deacons are not at all elected for that purpose for the only injunction which they lay upon them is to minister at the altar to read the gospel or chant and perform i know not what frivolous acts nothing is said of alms nothing of the care of the poor nothing at all of the function which they formerly performed i am speaking of the institution itself for if we look at what they do theirs in fact is no office but only a step to the priesthood in one thing those who hold the place of deacons in the mass exhibit an empty image of antiquity for they receive the offerings previous to consecration now the ancient practice was that before the communion of the supper the faithful mutually kissed each other and offered alms at the altar thus declaring their love first by symbol and afterwards by an act of beneficence the deacon who was steward of the poor received what was given that he might distribute it now of these alms no more comes to the poor than if they were cast into the sea they therefore delude the church by that lying deaconship assuredly in this they have nothing resembling the apostolical institution or the ancient practice the very distribution of goods they have transferred elsewhere and have so settled it that nothing can be imagined more disorderly for as robbers after murdering their victims divide the plunder so these men after extinguishing the light of god's word as if they had murdered the church have imagined that whatever had been dedicated to pious uses was set down for prey and plunder accordingly they have made a division each seizing for himself as much as he could sixteen all those ancient methods which we have explained are not only disturbed but altogether disguised and expunged the chief part of the plunder has gone to bishops and city presbyters who having thus enriched themselves have been converted into canons that the partition was a mere scramble is apparent from this that even to this day they are litigating as to the proportions be this as it may the decision has provided that out of all the goods of the church not one penny shall go to the poor to whom at least the half belong the canons expressly assign a fourth part to them while the other fourth they destine to the bishops that they may expend it in hospitality and other offices of kindness i say nothing as to what the clergy ought to do with their portion or the use to which they ought to apply it for it has been clearly shown that what is set apart for churches buildings and other expenditure ought in necessity to be given to the poor if they had one spark of the fear of god in their heart could they i ask bear the consciousness that all their food and clothing is the produce of theft nay of sacrilege but as they are little moved by the judgment of god they should at least reflect that those 
whom they would persuade that the orders of their church are so beautiful and well arranged as they are wont to boast are men endued with sense and reason let them briefly answer whether the diaconate is a license to rob and steal if they deny this they will be forced to confess that no diaconate remains among them since the whole administration of their ecclesiastical resources has been openly converted into sacrilegious depredation. 17. But here they use a very fair gloss, for they say that the dignity of the church is not unbecomingly maintained by this magnificence, and certain of their sect are so impudent as to dare openly to boast that thus only are fulfilled the prophecies in which the ancient prophets ascribed the splendor of Christ's kingdom. Where the sacerdotal order is exhibited in royal attire, that it was not without cause that God made the following promises to his church. All kings shall fall down before him, all nations shall serve him. Psalm 72:11. Awake, Awake, put on thy strength, O Zion, put on thy beautiful garments, O Jerusalem, the holy city. Isaiah 52.1 All they from Sheba shall come, they shall bring gold and incense, and they shall show forth the praises of the Lord. All the flocks of Kedar shall be gathered together unto thee. Isaiah 60, 6 and 7 I fear I should seem childish were I to dwell long in refuting this dishonesty. I am unwilling, therefore, to use words unnecessarily. I ask, therefore, were any Jew to misapply these passages, what answer would they give? They would rebuke his stupidity in making a carnal and worldly application of things spiritually said of Christ's spiritual kingdom. For we know that under the image of earthly objects, the prophets have delineated to us the heavenly glory which ought to shine in the church. For in those blessings which these words literally express, the church never less abounded than under the apostles, and yet all admit that the power of Christ's kingdom was then most flourishing. What, then, is the meaning of the above passages? that everything which is precious, sublime, and illustrious ought to be made subject to the Lord. As to its being said expressly of kings, that they will submit to Christ, that they will throw their diadems at his feet, that they will dedicate their resources to the church, when was this more truly and fully manifested than when Theodosius, having thrown aside the purple and left the insignia of empire like one of the people, humbled himself before God and the church in solemn repentance. Then when he and other like pious princes made it their study and their care to preserve pure doctrine in the church, to cherish and protect sound teachers. But that priests did not then luxuriate in superfluous wealth is sufficiently declared by this one sentence of the council of Aquileia, over which Ambrose presided. Poverty in the priests of the Lord is glorious. 
It is certain that the bishops, then, had some means by which they might have rendered the glory of the church conspicuous, if they had deemed them the true ornaments of the church. But knowing that nothing was more adverse to the duty of pastors than to plume themselves on the delicacies of the table, on splendid clothes, numerous attendants, and magnificent places, they cultivated and followed the humility and modesty, nay, the very poverty, which Christ has consecrated among his servants. 18. But not to be tedious. Let us again briefly sum up and show how far that distribution, or rather squandering, of ecclesiastical goods which now exists, differs from the true diaconate, which both the word of God recommends and the ancient church observed. I say that what is employed on the adorning of churches is improperly laid out, if not accompanied with that moderation which the very nature of sacred things prescribes, and which the apostles and other holy fathers prescribed both by precept and example. But is anything like this seen in churches in the present day? Whatever accords, I do not say with that ancient frugality, but with decent mediocrity, is rejected. Naught pleases but what savors of luxury and the corruption of the times. Meanwhile, so far are they from taking due care of living temples, that they would allow thousands of the poor to perish, sooner than break down the smallest cup or platter, to relieve their necessity. That I may not decide too severely at my own hand, I would only ask the pious reader to consider what Exuperius, the bishop of Thoulouse, whom we have mentioned, what Acacius, or Ambrose, or any one like-minded, if they were to rise from the dead, would say. Certainly, while the necessities of the poor are so great, they would not approve of their funds being carried away from them as superfluous, not to mention that, even were there no poor, the uses to which they are applied are noxious in many respects and useful in none. But I appeal not to men. These goods have been dedicated to Christ, and ought to be distributed at His pleasure. In vain, however, will they make that to be expenditure for Christ, which they have squandered contrary to His commands. Though, to confess the truth, the ordinary revenue of the church is not much curtailed by these expenses. No bishoprics are so opulent, no abbacies so productive, in short, no benefices so numerous and ample, as to suffice for the gluttony of priests. But while they would spare themselves, they induce the people, by superstition, to employ what ought to have been distributed to the poor in building temples, erecting statues, buying plate, and providing costly garments. Thus the daily alms are swallowed up in this abyss. 19. Of the revenue which they derive from lands and property, what else can I say than what I have already said, 
and is manifest before the eyes of all. We see with what kind of fidelity the greatest portion is administered by those who are called bishops and abbots. What madness is it to seek ecclesiastical order here? Is it becoming in those whose life ought to have been a singular example of frugality, modesty, continence, and humility, to rival princes in the number of their attendants, the splendor of their dwellings, the delicacies of dressing and feasting? Can anything be more contrary to the duty of those whom the eternal and inviolable edict of God forbids to long for filthy lucre and orders to be contented with simple food, not only to lay hands on villages and castles, but also invade the largest provinces, and even seize on empire itself. If they despise the word of God, what answer will they give to the ancient canons of councils, which decree that the bishop shall have a little dwelling not far from the church, a frugal table and furniture? What answer will they give to the declaration of the Council of Aquileia, in which poverty in the priests of the Lord is pronounced glorious? For the injunction which Jerome gives to Neposian to make the poor and strangers acquainted with his table, and have Christ with them as a guest, they would perhaps repudiate as too austere. What he immediately adds, it would shame them to acknowledge, viz., that the glory of a bishop is to provide for the sustenance of the poor, that the disgrace of all priests is to study their own riches. This they cannot admit without covering themselves with disgrace. But it is unnecessary here to press them so hard, since all we wished was to demonstrate that the legitimate order of deacons has long ago been abolished, and that they can no longer plume themselves on this order in commendation of their church. This, I think, has been completely established. End of section 9. Recording by Bill Mosley, Frelsburg, Texas. U.S.A.